At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is the Pittsburgh City Cast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Was that a kick in the teeth for Oilers fans or what? I know it was for gamblers, that's for sure. We talked about it on the Pittsburgh CityCast yesterday. Coming off the Game 1 8-6 laser show, they set the goal total at 7.5 and, and people were still betting the over. I was sucked into it. I was predicting 5-3 to three off an empty netter or maybe 5-4 to four in overtime and it still would have felt conservative based on what we saw in Game 1, but... Game two corrected itself. The Avalanche corrected their course of action and win four to nothing. But to the opening point, what a drop kick to the gonads for Edmonton. The Oilers go to Colorado. They play the kind of game they want to play in game one. They play it well and they still lose eight to six. Then they come back for game two and they can't score a goal on a backup goaltender. I'm not saying the series is over, but I am saying when the Avs win it in six, like I predicted, or maybe less, I'm going to be thinking about game two. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast, and it's brought to you by BetRivers. Download the app today or go online to BetRivers.com. Log into BetRivers.com to receive a 20% live profit boost on any French Open wagers. Bet three $10 NHL same-game parlays to receive a free $10 bet. Place a bet on any MLB team to win the 2022 World Series and receive a $10 NCAA World Series free bet and place a three-plus leg same-game parlay of $15 or more on each game of the Mets-Dodgers series. 
to receive a free $20 bet. If you started in on that one, I hope you liked the under, which I told you would play yesterday. But I also told you the wrong way on the winner, so can't brag too much. I had the Mets with Walker over Gonsolin, but the Dodgers ended up winning that one. Gonsolin was really good, uh, going six innings of shutout ball. Walker, meanwhile, danced through the raindrops and only allowed two and five and two-thirds, but he also yielded eight base runners and only struck out two. So the Dodgers snapped their slide after getting swept by the Pirates. Speaking of the Buccos, they are at home tonight against the Arizona Diamondbacks. JT Brubaker on the hill. He has been really good in his last two starts. Hasn't allowed an earned run in either of his last two outings, 11 and two-thirds innings. The Pirates won both of those games, even though he didn't. He's still 0-4. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly, 3-3 with an ERA of 3.67 on the hill for Arizona. It might be a good night for the under. It sits at 8, minus 104. The payout there is minus 105 to go over. The Pirates are still underdogs, despite coming home off a sweep of the Los Angeles Dodgers. You get plus 100 betting on them tonight. I like the Buccos as a live home underdog coming off the sweep of L.A. I know the Snakes just took two or three versus Atlanta, but I'm going with the Pirates as a home dog tonight. But if we're talking about pitching and betting, how about former Pirate Jamison Tyon? He almost threw a perfect game last night. Time to start betting on Tyon every time he takes to the hill. Tyon threw seven perfect innings for New York last night against the Anaheim Angels, but he went to the bench losing one to nothing after eight innings. That's because Anaheim's Jared Walsh ended the perfect game bid in the eighth with a double that actually went off the glove of one of the Yankee infielders. Kurt Suzuki then drove in Walsh for the first run of the game. However, the Yankees got a two-run single from Anthony Rizzo to grab the lead two to one, the bottom of the inning. Another Pirate, of course, Clay Holmes comes on to close it out. He does so. He gets the save in the ninth. It was his seventh. With the win, Tyon improves to 6-1. and one. He ended up allowing just the one run and those two hits in eight innings. He totaled five strikeouts, didn't walk anybody. Tyon tossed 101 pitches. His ERA dropped to 2.30 on the season. I'm telling you, Tyon and Musgrove against each other in the All-Star game with Clay Holmes closing it out for the save for the American League. Get used to the idea. I think it's going to happen. Here's what Tyon had to say afterwards. You know, I've never been in that situation in the eighth inning before or anything, or even the seventh, but the fact that the game was so close, and obviously for us, like, winning really matters here. So I was really not pitching to preserve a perfect game or a no-hitter. I was pitching to win. So uh, definitely didn't want to walk guys, but also didn't want to make a mistake in the middle to any of those guys. I was okay uh, staying away from the slug if I had to give up a single or if I had to walk a guy, I was willing to do it. So congrats to Jameis and Tyon. I am really happy for him. A nicer guy you will not find. I wish things could have gone better and easier for him here in Pittsburgh. And I'm super happy to see him getting success in New York. While we're talking about the Pirates, since David Bednar grew up in Mars, he probably knows how all this works. Once you get good playing for the Pirates, it's only a matter of time before you get caught up in trade talks. Look at Garrett Cole, who's pitching tonight for the Yankees. Well, it's happening to Bednar now. He's pitching well enough to be an all-star, I think. And he may pitch well enough to find himself traded to a title contender. In 21 outings this year, Bednar is 2-1 with an ERA of 1.38, 9 saves. He has 35 strikeouts and 5 walks. And according to CBS.com's R.J. Anderson, Bednar is one of the 10 most likely players to be traded before the August 2nd deadline. 
Anderson said every postseason contender could have some level of interest in Bednar, and I agree. Even if a team has a closer in place, Bednar would be a great setup guy. There's absolutely zero reason for the Pirates to trade Bednar, of course, aside from the fact that they are the Pirates, and this is just what they do. He's good, he's cheap, he's local, he's marketable, he wants to be here. No reason to trade him except for the underlying dedication to saturating the minor leagues so that the franchise can always sell the future and hope, and in the process, hope no one notices that's what they're doing while constantly selling off the present. If you look at attendance, most have noticed. The diehard yokels, the bloggers, the seamhead media members, the prospect pimps, they will constantly support that kind of action, but the fans stopped supporting it a long time ago, and I never really supported it in the first place, to be honest. Maybe the Pirates are getting out of that sum. The contracts they gave to Brian Reynolds and Brian Hayes suggest that's the case. Let's see if they apply that thinking to Bednar, too, because they should, and I hope that they do. Former Pirate Josh Bell also mentioned in that list from CBS Sports, the Washington first baseman is hitting 305 with an 802 OPS. The Red Sox, Twins, and Giants believed to be candidates that may want to acquire Bell's services via that CBS Sportsline article that I mentioned. And uh, you can find it at Breakfast with Ben's. Wrote about that a little bit at Trib Live. How about my bet on the Blue Jays but against the Angels philosophy I told you about at the start of the week, huh? After the Blue Jays swept Anaheim, I said keep going in both directions. Keep betting on Toronto. Keep betting against Anaheim. How has that worked out for you? Toronto keeps winning. They're up to eight in a row. The Angels keep losing. They're up to eight in a row. The Blue Jays are minus 215 at home tonight against the Twins. The Twins looking to stop a three-game losing streak of their own. Toronto has a 30-20 and record overall, 17-8 and at home. Chichi Gonzalez is making a spot start tonight for Minnesota. I love the Blue Jays here. The Angels are in Philly after the Phillies fired their manager, Joe Girardi. I always bet on the team that fires its coach or manager to get a wake-up call. The Phillies are minus 122 favorites. The Angels are plus 102 underdogs. Chase Silseth is pitching for Anaheim, 101-307 ERA against Zach Eflin, who's 1-4 with an ERA around 4.6. I don't like the matchup much, but I'll go with Philadelphia anyway and bet on that streak continuing. A parlay bet on the Jays in Anaheim, in other words, parlaying the bet in favor of the Jays and against the Angels, that would pay out at plus 160. Toronto is minus 105 on the run line, if you want to goose that, by the way. Garrett Cole pitches tonight for the Yankees against Detroit. That's why they are minus 345 favorites. Who cares? Yankees win that one. Minus one and a half on the run line. Uh, That's just minus 143 if you want to live dangerously. How about an ex-Bucko parlay tonight? An ex-Bucko pitcher parlay. I wrote about that at Trib Live this week, too. Talked about Tyon, talked about Musgrove, talked about Holmes, talked about Cole. Another guy that I referenced, actually, readers brought him up to me. I left him off the list, but I should have put him in. Tyler Anderson of the Dodgers. If you bet on him with Cole and the Dodgers to beat the Mets tonight, that pays out at plus 110. Anderson and L.A. are minus 159 to win that one on their own tonight. And I'll give you one more for tonight. Corbin Burns versus Joe Musgrove. The under is six and a half. It's low, but it's only minus 103. This year's potential NL Cy Young winner in Musgrove against last year's. They both have ERAs under two. 
take the under in that one. All right, back to hockey. I mentioned the Avs-Oilers series earlier. It's minus 136 to get the Avs on the road already, and I can't argue with that. Plus 116 on the Oilers holding serve and getting a win and making sure that series stays close, getting a bounce back of their own as they return home. That's not a terrible school of thought, but I'm leaning Avalanche tomorrow. We're going to get into this big time with Greg Linelli of the Lightning Radio Network shortly. But I do think it's funny how the Lightning are favored at minus 132 on the road as the lesser seed after getting blown out in game one by the home team. That's something you just never see, right? But everyone knows the Lightning story of never losing in back-to-back playoff games. I'm buying in again tonight for an 18th time in a row, and I'll pay the price and take the under at minus 120. Looking for a low-scoring game because I'm betting on Vasilevsky as much as I'm betting on the Lightning. You can talk all you want about going high to the blocker of Vasilevsky on the glove side, but it doesn't matter. The guy never loses two in a row. Low-scoring game tonight, lightning win. And I got the NBA game right last night. I took the Celtics plus four. I've got them in the series. I feel confident about it. It is the NBA, though, so that series won't end until, what, the 4th of July before I get my money? I will take Golden State in game two, though, and it's only minus four. I'm stunned about that one. And it's at minus 112. Yikes, get in on that while you can. The Warriors will bounce back and hold on to a split. I'm sure of it, and I can't believe the odds are in our favor as much as those numbers are posted. All right, when we come back in just 30 seconds, we talk Lightning and Rangers. Tonight, Game 2, Greg Linelli, Lightning Radio Network. He's also the host of Lightning Power Play Live. That's on the way next in the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. BetRivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, BetRivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tonight, Game 2 of Lightning and Rangers Eastern Conference Finals in the National Hockey League. Tim Benz with you. Pleased to be joined right now by a former colleague at ESPN Pittsburgh. He's been doing great work in Tampa covering the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've gone to him many times over for all things Lightning. It is Greg Linelli. Pre-game, post-game intermission. You can check him out there. Lightning Power Play Live as well. Gregor's great to catch up with you. How you been? Benzie, doing really well, and uh, another long playoff run here for this Tampa Bay Lightning team. It's been pretty incredible to watch up close the last three years, really. Are you surprised at all that they've gotten this far? I'm not. I expected them to win the first round series. I expected them to beat the Panthers as well. I just, I didn't expect the sweep in the previous round. How about you? Yeah, I don't think anybody did. Am I surprised they've gotten this far? No, and I think the biggest reason, and I know you've talked about this before, is their goaltending. You know, Vasilevsky, when you take a look at the the teams, Benzie, who made it in the Eastern Conference, and really all of hockey, but just in general with the East, there was so much made about every one of those teams had 100-plus points, but really when you were diving into it, the Lightning were the the only team that didn't have a question mark in that. And there were varying degrees of question marks with different goaltenders in the East. But Vasi is the best, no doubt. And I know he got lit up for six. I'm not sure you can blame him for a ton of those goals. And the team certainly didn't play well defensively. But 
that is the biggest reason why you feel pretty confident the Lightning can make another deep run here. And, you know, the Toronto series, that was a really tough one because Toronto's a good team and they play fast. They actually got really good goaltending in that series too. But uh, the Lightning have that X factor and it's uh, the guy in that. Is there anything to the whole high blocker thing? I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know if I'm, I don't want to say qualified to talk about that too much. Part of me says, I don't know if there's enough data to suggest that that's a weakness. Well, let me ask and you this. Has anybody said this about Vasilevsky before this playoff? I, I haven't really heard it. I know there's been a couple of guys now that I've seen that report come out that have kind of piggybacked off of it and said, well, you know, I noticed last year that uh, or a couple of years ago when the Lightning lost to the Blue Jackets that uh, I was watching practice and, you know, I saw them trying to, to go blocker side to, to prep for taking on Vasilevsky. I, I think it's it's more coincidence than not. But you know what? That being said, you wouldn't be surprised if that's something that the Rangers try and take advantage of tonight. Once it's out there, it sort of gains its own steam, gets its own narrative. I mean, right. I, the same, same thing existed with uh, Matt Murray and his glove. And I always said about Matt Murray and his glove. He didn't Did he have, have one? <laughs> yeah, and it looked like he never broke it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, like that was you're the thing right with him. That. And in the glove, it, he didn't have a slow glove hand. He just couldn't catch. Like he had, yeah, he was yeah. like Pedro Alvarez by the end. You know, right. he had a glove and it was always there. He just couldn't secure the puck. He would stab at it. So like, yeah, you know, there was a degree of truth to it. And maybe the truth manifested from talking about it so much. I don't know if it became a mental block or what. I, I just have so much respect for Vasilevsky that I wonder uh, if he's kind of foolproof to something like that, because if there is an issue, he's going to correct it. And I don't think he's mentally weak enough to allow it to be something that seeps into his game. Well, and I think also, too, everybody needs something to talk about to try to exploit. Okay, so if you think Vassy's blocker is his weakest part, how weak is it compared to everything else? I yeah. think it's still pretty solid. The other thing, too, is, Ben, you'll see a lot of teams, when they take on the Lightning, they miss the net a lot. And I think they miss the net a lot is because they're trying to be a little too fine with how they're going to adjust playing against a guy like Vasilevsky. Is that so, a circumstantial thing, or do you find some data that picked that up? For me, that's just an observation. Okay. That is totally an observation where you you notice, at least I do, that you know teams, I feel like, shoot a bit more wide, especially when they have a, a point-blank opportunity. And I think some of that is just a lot of it is the reputation that Bassey has. So we'll see. Like I said, I, I think the Rangers, they're going to look for every advantage to try and beat him. So if they feel like they had some success with the blocker, they're going to do that. I know he had a pretty intense practice with the, the goaltender coach yesterday, so that might have been something that they were working on for sure, but I don't know. I don't know how much of an advantage that really is. The other thing that came up about him, and the Lightning maybe more specifically, but people kind of focused on Vasilevsky, is his performance, their performance after a long layoff. Um, is yeah. that more germane to what happened against the Rangers in game I one? think there's truth. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to use that as an excuse, but I think there's truth to it. I mean, they... The thing about it is if you watch that game through the first 30 minutes, it was tied. And the Lightning actually had some really good looks offensively through that time. Kucherov missed the net or, you know, they were just they were just stopped point blank by Shesterkin. But I tell you one thing, one of the narratives, you want to talk about a narrative coming out of that for me, 
were the juicy rebounds that Shesterkin was giving up. And I think that is going to be something to keep an eye on, more so than Vassy's blocker. But I, I think where you saw the rust, going back to your question, for the Lightning, it was defensively. I just they, they didn't have great coverage in their own zone. And I think the Rangers, to their credit, and you guys saw this going against the Penguins, I mean, they took advantage of those opportunities. They've got some really skilled players, and they were able to take advantage of that. But I thought where you saw the rust was defensively, because I thought offensively, they had their looks against Shesterkin. And I think based off of some of the comments they had after game one, I think they feel like those opportunities are going to continue to be there throughout this series. I think if we're going to talk about the goaltending and where talking points emerge, like you brought up at the very start of the conversation, that because Vasilevsky has been there for the Lightning, they're one of the few teams in the East that didn't have questions about their goaltending. And I don't think there were questions about Shesterkin coming into the playoffs aside from he hadn't done it before. And then the Penguins made that a talking point by making him look bad for the first four or five games of that series. But, you know, over time, I think the Penguins gave the Rangers and gave Shesterkin just enough time to find himself and find themselves, at least to the point where they could win. And I thought Mark Madden made a pretty good assessment of what happened in Carolina for Shesterkin is that the uh, Hurricanes didn't do as good of a job as the Penguins did of getting action and traffic with the puck loose at his feet. You know, like he said it against Scrambly when he was trying to find the puck down low against the Penguins a lot. And Carolina didn't do that to him so much. And I did notice, I felt like the Lightning were exploiting that early in the game. And then it's just kind of like everything else got away from over the last half hour. Yeah, I think there might be some truth to that. Although, like I said before, Shesterkin, if you watch the game, there were a ton of rebounds. Mm-hmm. Really juicy rebounds. And I, I've made this this point on, on our show, Noon to One, on Lightning Power Play with, with Dave Michigan. And I, you know, obviously because of my ties to Pittsburgh, I was watching that series pretty closely with Shesterkin. There's no question the guy had a tremendous regular season. You know, whether you want to make a case he's the MVP of the league or not, go ahead. That's fine. I came away thinking he wasn't completely comfortable, and I don't think he still is in these playoffs. He hasn't been the dominant force, I thought, for an extended period of time during these playoffs compared to what his regular season credentials would suggest. I agree with that. And I thought in game one, like I said before, the Lightning were a couple of missed shots away or a couple of rebounds away from scoring four or five. Now they didn't. And again, the Rangers took advantage of it, so good, good for them. But to me... That is going to be a bigger question because Shesterkin in that Penguin series obviously didn't have an answer for the Crosby line. And that continued to be a little bit of a trend throughout that series. Carolina doesn't have the skill necessarily that Tampa Bay does and maybe to a lesser extent Pittsburgh does. They're a really good four-checking team. I think they have four solid lines. I don't think they have the finishers particularly with the first line the Penguins have and what the Lightning have scattered throughout their lineup. So maybe they didn't take advantage of it as much as they could have. But I'll be interested to see what happens tonight in Game 2. I mean, he could he could be lights out, and, and maybe people won't be surprised. But I, I just I haven't felt like he has been completely locked into these playoffs just yet. And I think there's some opportunities there for the Lightning to take advantage. 
Greg Linelli with us. You remember him from ESPN Pittsburgh. We worked there together, game day host for the Tampa Bay Lightning Radio Network, host of Lightning Power Play Live. Greg, I see here, and this kind of makes me laugh, it's just obviously the respect and the understanding that even the gambling public has as it relates to the Lightning, especially mm-hmm. after they lose a game. Like, What other series are you going to see where the home team, so the, the better-seeded team, wins game one six to two or whatever it was <laughs> and then you turn around and in game two the road team with the lower seed is favored to win at minus 132 i mean like <laughs> that's clearly everybody latching on over the past three years and understanding that the lightning just don't lose back-to-back games in the playoffs ever no they don't i mean what's the record 17 and 0 i mean look eventually that's going to come to an end and it may happen tonight i mean we'll, we'll find out but I mean, the thing about this Lightning team is not only do you have the goaltending, they do D up pretty pretty significantly in the playoffs. And they do it with really four elite defensemen that they have back there um, on defense. But I don't know. They just they, – they find different ways to win. You know, you mentioned the, the Florida series. They just lock it down, only give them three goals in the Toronto series. You know, they can play a little bit more run and gun, although towards the end of that series, they locked it down defensively. My guess is you're going to just see this team be better defensively because they have to compared to what they did in game one. Whether that's enough to beat the Rangers tonight, we'll find out. My hunch says it it probably will. And this is kind of what you get when you have a team that's won as many games as they have in the playoffs. They just, they don't let things spiral out of control in the playoffs. And I think that's something that's pretty remarkable. And looking at the under, it's minus 120 at under five and a half. Um, that is expecting two goalies to be very good tonight. And I think that goes to Vasilevsky as well. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, there weren't many power play opportunities in game one. That's something the Rangers really took advantage of, not only against Pittsburgh, but they were smoking coming into this series. So that'll be interesting to see if, if that holds true again. You know, Braden Point being out, I think, obviously is it hurts the Lightning's offense a little bit, but... You know, they've they've won a lot of games before with star players out of the lineup. So I would anticipate this game being something like 3-2. And if that's the case, I think, you know, you'd probably like your chances if you're lighting. Look, you get a win tonight, and it just kind of minimizes what the Rangers did in game one. And, I, and then I think it really does put the pressure back on New York, to be honest. What about Tampa having to chase a series? You know, even just hold home ice if the Rangers get there. As we talked about, it doesn't happen because they don't lose back-to-back. Yeah. But is it something that people think they can do if necessary? I do. I, I mean, I, Benzie, I think this is just going to be one of those situations when you look at the Lightning. Until they finally lose a series, you're just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, a lot of people I know here in Tampa where the Lightning were kind of playing okay towards the end of the regular season and everybody was really quick to point out hey, you know I, I think this is the year they don't get it done and my response to that would be one none of this matters until you get to the playoffs they will turn a switch on and they have but two i mean eventually they're going to be right i mean eventually the lightning will lose and i guess some of those people that you know keep waiting for that to happen will be satisfied but uh, <laughs> They've been so consistently sharp, and I think they've they've found a formula to win in the playoffs that few teams can reach when it comes to role players scoring timely goals, star players taking over a series when they can, and then your goaltender just refusing 
to flinch, particularly, you know, the game clinching, uh, the series clinching game where he's just not only been dominant, but I mean, just shuts completely everybody out. lights up. Yeah, yeah. Completely lights up. How have they gotten around point and what's his diagnosis? Yeah. So he's skating and there's, you know, obviously video of that. And I, I doubt he's in tonight. I, I'd be surprised if he's in game three. Is there a chance he could see later in the series? Perhaps. Uh, I'm not optimistic. How are they getting around it? They're going 11 and seven. And they've allowed guys like Stammer and Kucherov at times to, you know, play with some other players to get them more ice time. I think Kuch had the second most ice time in game one against the Rangers. So that's how they've been able to do it. You know, they've they've gotten some pretty balanced scoring up and down that lineup. Not a, a ton of goals from guys like Stamkos and Kucherov, but they are putting up points. And then they're getting guys, you know, like Nick Paul, who's just been tremendous. And I know you've talked about him before uh, on your show. He's been really good in a lot of different ways. And it's it's been more of a a team mentality scoring with point out because he does do a lot. I mean, he's a you free talk about agent too, right? Nick Paul? Yeah. He is. Yeah, he is. So that'll be a that'll be a big one. Because he's been fantastic, and every time he does something impressive in the playoffs, you figure that that contract goes up. Last thing I want to bring up, and it got so much attention here in Pittsburgh. I know it was talked about a ton during the Carolina series, and that's the Jacob Truba factor. (laughs) How much, if at all, are Lightning fans focusing on what he's doing? Well, they should because I've been bringing it up. (laughs) I mean, I I, kind of made the – the joke a little bit and Dan Rosen from NHL.com when we had him on a couple of days ago, I don't think he got the joke, which is fine. Uh, I basically said, Dan, up to this point, I, I think you could probably make a case that Jacob Truba is the team's MVP of the playoffs. <laughs> and he went to me, he goes, well, you know, they've had Shesterkin who's been really good. And I took and, it too and, literally. Yeah. 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 And, and my point was, look, if, if Crosby doesn't leave in the playoffs after the Truba hit, the Penguins probably win that series, even though Louis Domingue, you know, really became Louis Domingue uh, in that series. And, you know, look, the the couple of jarring hits Truba had in the Carolina series against Domi and Jarvis ended up being game changers. So my point was heading into this series, if you were a star player for the Lightning, you needed to keep your head on a swivel. And I'm sure those guys talk about it. They watch those hockey games as well. So that was one of the things I was going to kind of keep an eye on is not only – Truba, but guys like Reeves and Goodrow for facing his former team, just the ability to try and be really physical with the Lightning. And, you know, the Lightning can play that way, Benzie. But, you know, if you're the Rangers, you want to use every advantage you can. But certainly Truba, I'm going to be watching it because he's impacted two series leading up to this one. And it's it's been pretty pretty evident that it's made a huge impact. Trying to find Duquesne odds to win the NCAA title. Uh, not on the board right now, Gregors. So I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to withhold that information for a while. I mean, you obviously know this a lot better than I do now. I mean, how many players have left? Was it ten? Or again, in the I transfer think? portal? <laughs> Nine or ten? I, I can it's tell you this: that Georgia State and Albaline Christian are at plus fifty thousand, and Duquesne isn't on the board yet. So I'm, I'm gonna have to. Jeez. Come back and research that and get it back to you. I mean, who's in better shape, Duquesne or Pitt? 
Pitt's at plus 25,000. So obviously the people like the pit transfers more. Everybody's okay. saying good things about the guys that they got. Although yeah. we heard lots of good things about the guys that they had, and then the guys that they lost went on to pretty good things as well. Like if Primo Spears goes to Georgetown and gets them to win the Big East, then how's that going to feel? You know, are they going to be better than the teams when I was at school with with Aaron Lovelace and Courtney Wallace and Brad Midgley? Boy, you're going back to some glory days there. Now you're well. Really... That's what I, I mean. Those were really the glory well, days. I got to be honest with you. I guess covering the lightning's a little bit different, huh? <laughs> a little bit different, Betsy. A little bit different. <laughs> All right, man. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll check you out right, on Lightning Power Play Live, and we'll uh, listen to your pregame, postgame intermission as well. All right. Always glad catching up with you, buddy. All right. So my thanks to Greg Linelli of the Lightning Radio Network for joining us. We'll stay in touch with both series as time marches on here through the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the National Hockey League. The Penguins brass at Steeler OTAs yesterday, interestingly enough. Brian Burke was there. I saw him. I was told Ron Hextall was there. Am I allowed to say that, or is that restrictive rule about what you can and can't say about what you see in practice? Does that apply to who's watching practice as well? I might have to clear that with the Steelers media relations office. But, yeah, I didn't see Ron Hextall, so maybe I shouldn't comment on that. Brian Burke, I did see. Uh, wasn't told if Mike Sullivan was there or not. I honestly didn't see him. Uh, one guy that I talked to recently was Miles Jack, the inside linebacker that the Steelers got from Jacksonville. Hopefully an upgrade on the other inside linebacker that they got from Jacksonville last year in Joe Schobert. Steelers need to get better production from Jack than they got from Schobert a year ago. You might remember we had Jamal St. Cyr, News for Jacks, on the podcast when Jack signed with the Steelers. He's a sports anchor there, and we were getting the skinny on Miles Jack, who he is as a player, what he can bring to the Steelers, what he has left in the tank uh, after what I thought was perhaps a Pro Bowl season deserving uh, a couple years ago. He took a step back last season, and part of the reason why, as advanced by Jamal, and he wasn't the only guy, there have been others who have talked about this. Heck, the coaches talked about it in Jacksonville. Miles Jack doesn't do great with the green dot, the communications helmet. He tends to get bogged down a little bit, tends to get a little too static and a little too antiseptic in his play, tends to get a little stodgy once he has to go through the thought process of getting the signal and barking it out to everybody else. That was the assessment that was made by St. Cyr and others relating to Jack and his performance a year ago. Everybody's performance was off for Jacksonville, let's just be honest, but the Coaches eventually took the communication helmet away from him and gave it to Damian Wilson. And as he comes here to Pittsburgh, I think a lot of people were hoping that he could take the signal calling duties off of Devin Bush's plate and allow Bush to perhaps roam more freely and not think and not get bogged down himself. But if all this is true, then you don't want Jack to be hindered as he's learning a new defense. So I talked to Miles Jack about all this, and we discussed how big of a deal the communication helmet thing was in Jacksonville and whether or not it's going to be a problem here in Pittsburgh or if he's even going to have the communication device or if Devin Bush is going to have it. Here's a portion of the conversation that I had with Miles Jack in the locker room at the Steelers facility on the south side as they were wrapping up week two of organized team activities. 
Um, it, it's been great. Me, for me personally, it's just really just trying to fine tune that playbook, just know what I'm doing, um, just being Chris, communication, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a part of something great. So all I have to do is just make sure I do my part, and everybody else already knows what they're doing. So it's great. What's been like working with Devin so far? It's been good. Uh, we've been able to collaborate on a bunch of things. He's obviously been here, so he's bringing me up to speed on like how he plays certain things in the playbook and what he sees. So it's been cool. Obviously, when you have two backers, you guys are always like collaborating. So it's great. Miles, will you be doing any of the green dot? <laughs> um, that hasn't been decided yet. Um, I think right now we both have the green dot. So um, we're both just communicating on the field. But um, that hasn't been decided. But if I was called to do it, I could do it. One thing uh, I read and heard talking to folks in Jacksonville was, mm -hmm. didn't you have a preference to not have it? Didn't you feel a little bit more free not having it? I wouldn't necessarily say that. I, I think it was just kind of, they felt like me playing Will and actually having a mic backer, they felt like the mic should have the, the green dot. So that was kind of the miscommunication. But if I needed to do it, I could do it 100%. Because like you had it you did right, it, yeah. Because when Different I coaches, right? That's what happened. So pretty much in the preseason, uh, Schober had it, and then all of a sudden we traded Schober, and they just kind of threw it on me. But I was the wheel, so it kind of like created like communication issues because the mic is sitting there waiting for me to give him the call and to make the close call. So eventually we switched it over. And then they gave it to who was David? Uh, Damian Wilson. Damian, sorry, mm -hmm. Damian. And yeah. Did that make you feel better when you didn't have um, it? Or? It's obviously cool, not like just hearing the call and just playing. But if I have to have that responsibility of getting people lined up, that's not something that's hard to do. Just kind of slows you down. So it's one more thing you got to process before you. I mean, it's definitely one more thing, but I wouldn't feel like it slows me down by any means. I think if they name me the mic and give me the green dot, for sure I could do it. When Joe came here, mm -hmm. thinking what we understood was part of the reason why is they wanted to get more of a downhill thumper and Damien mm -hmm. to take that role mm -hmm. and allow you to still go sideline to sideline a mm -hmm. lot. Did that happen last year? Or did you find yourself in Jacksonville? In Jacksonville? Or did you find yourself kind of stuffing the run more than expected? Um, I felt like we were playing – we played a lot of cover too last year, so obviously the backers kind of have to – there's a little bit more run pass conflict because you're, you're, you don't have that down safety in the box, so it's really seven on seven. But um, yeah, I don't know. Last year was last year, man. I'm, I'm in a new place now, and I'm excited. So is it a natural jump then from what you were playing before to kind of be an inside guy in their three Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, if they need me to cover or run sideline to sideline or whatever, if they if it's third and one and we gotta go hit a B gap or A gap, I, I love that. So no, it's all good. All right, so thanks to Miles Jack for breaking that all down, and, and hopefully he's not just saying what he feels needs to be said. Hopefully he means that, and it won't be a big deal for the Steelers because it would be nice if he could handle those duties and just let Devin Bush try to be Devin Bush, whoever that is, so he can figure himself out and figure out the defense. I can't believe Bush said what he said earlier in the week, too, when he said he didn't have to prove anything. He was a first-round draft pick. That was going to be forever. Yeah, but Devin, you have to prove that wasn't a terrible pick because right now it looks like it was. Honestly, so I have no idea where Bush was coming from with that quote, but it doesn't necessarily make me think that he got the wake-up call that he needed to get by not having his fifth-year option picked up by the Steelers. Uh, I would hope that would be a message unto itself, but maybe it hasn't resonated with Bush in the manner that it needs to. Uh, go to Trib Live. I've got a story up about how the Steelers might juggle the snap count around without Stephon Tewitt, who officially announced his retirement. That story is up at Trib Live right now. Have an interesting piece that'll be going up, I believe, on Monday as it relates to Alex Highsmith and what he needs to do to make more of an impact this season. I'll be on 105.9 The X in place of Mark Madden next week on Monday and Tuesday. 
Uh, we might have to reconfigure our Madden Monday podcast because of Mark's vacation. We'll do what we can in that regard, and we'll have it for you eventually at some point next week here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. But until then, have a good weekend, everybody. Good luck in the NHL and on the Major League Baseball bets that we handed out before. I'll be rooting right along with you. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast.